Welcome to the Donaghclody Parish Podcast. We're an Anglican Evangelical Church committed to glorifying God, preaching the gospel, and making disciples. Our current evening series is from First Kings. We're going to turn to God's word now. As we do, let's pray that God would speak to us. And let's use those famous words that God spoke to Samuel. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. And we, Lord, like Samuel, we want to say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We ask you to speak clearly to us by your word and by your spirit and point us to the Lord Jesus Christ this evening. And we ask this in his precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, this, we're, we're still studying in the evening, First Kings. Tonight, we're, we're doing a bit of a gallop through uh, four chapters, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, but don't worry, uh, we, we will we'll be kind to you. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we're looking really at a very important section of First Kings, the building and the dedication of the Temple of Solomon. And I wonder when either it was fronted by Lloyd Grossman or more presently by Keith Lemon, whether you've watched the program through the keyhole. Basically, the program is for nosy people like me who like to see inside a house. Well, the premise of the program is that People go into a celebrity's home, they, they see around some clues, and we're supposed to guess who that celebrity might be. So the last one was a fancy London home. A certificate was there to celebrate the freedom of Doncaster. Then there was a fancy piano and a whole pile of opera stuff. And you have to guess who the house is. That time it was the opera singer Leslie Garrett. But the catchphrase of the show is this. What kind of person lives in a house like this? What kind of person lives in a house like this? Well, tonight, we've been given a description of a house through four chapters of First Kings. And the amazing thing is that you and I, we, we get to see not only the house when it's built, but actually as it's being erected. And who is this home for? Well, it's for the Lord. And this evening we're asking, well, what can we learn about God from his house? What can we learn about God from his house? And the first point that we want to look at tonight, if you're taking notes, is it's glorious. It is absolutely glorious. This is an amazing building. The trouble, though, is that we read chapters 5 to 8 and we just glaze over there was endless measurements and instructions and names and, uh, 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 and lengths that we don't even know about. We just go, Ooh. but actually, I think we're missing loads here. We haven't really caught the majesty or the glory of what's going on. We haven't seen what the author is trying to tell us, because I know it's hard for us to picture but what we need to realize is that when the temple was built, Israel was still living in tents or little small huts. And as they saw the temple go up, their mouths would have dropped to their knees. This was a building like no other. And I can get impressed with buildings. A little, little nerd like that. So did you know during this lockdown, you can travel virtually through the Vatican City? or the Louvre, or the British Museum, all those beautiful buildings. I love watching 
a program on Apple TV as well called Home, which looks at particular architectural styles. But 3,000 years ago, this would have been one of the wonders of the world. And we also need to remember that there's no cameras, no iPhones, no internet. Couldn't just take a picture. Remember bringing your old phone to the chemist and sitting waiting for a week for it to be developed? Then were the good old days. But these are word pictures. Amazing word pictures because what we get to read here is that we get to see inside the Holy of Holies. The place where only the high priest was allowed to go. You and I, we get to see through these words into the Holy of Holies. The one chance we're going to see into it. The other thing is, we're not great at using our imaginations. Today, if we don't know anything about it, what we do is we Google it. We're not so great at creating pictures in our minds. But this picture is just overwhelming in its detail and its beauty. For example, just look at the amount of pomegranates that are there. You ever eaten a pomegranate, opened up and seen all the beautiful patterns that are there? Well, there's 200 of them on each pillar. Just look at 1 Kings 7, verses 15. It talks about King Solomon cast two bronze pillars, each 18 cubits high and 12 cubits in circumference. He also made two capitals of cast bronze to set on the tops of the pillars. Each capital was five cubits high. A network of interwoven chains adorned the capitals on top of the pillars, seven for each capital. He made pomegranates in two rows encircling each network to decorate the capitals on top of the pillars. He did, did the same for the capital. The capitals on top of the pillars of the protocol were in the shape of lilies, four cubits high. On the capitals of both pillars above the bowl-shaped part next to the network were 200 pomegranates in rows all around. Amazing pictures here. The artistry, the skill is outstanding. These pillars and capitals and lilies and angels and, 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 and all this stuff here is beautiful. It's picturing God's creation and how God creates each one of us Uniquely. wonder if you've been to Barcelona. I've been to Barcelona, but I haven't had a chance to go to the Basilica de la Sagrada Familia, or the Sacred Family. Designed by Gaudi, it's still under construction. But it's a beautiful building which is like the temple, is full of creation pictures. Gaudi said that he wanted to take from the best designer of all, from Lord God and creation. And so inside the basilica, you'll see shapes like honeycombs and flowers. He said you couldn't get a better designer than God. We also know that when the Babylonian Empire sacked this temple, they brought some of the designs back with them. And then the Persians borrowed that, and then the Greeks borrowed that, and then the Romans borrowed that, and now we have classical architecture. So when we do fancy buildings, often like law courts and everything, the pictures of pillars and unique designs that are actually seen here. And not only is this house, this temple, absolutely beautiful, did you notice something about the building process? 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7. In the building, 
In building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used, and no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. So not only is this building beautiful, it's constructed in silence. Can you imagine walking through a building site today with no noise? No diggers or forklifts, no cement mixers or hammering, nothing. This site is so holy that they have to cut and dress the stones off-site and then bring them on-site only to slot them together in silence. And then everything is just made of gold. There's bronze and gold and precious materials. First Kings chapter 6, verse 20. So he overlaid the whole interior with gold. He also overlaid with gold the altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary. For the inner sanctuary, he made a pair of cherubim out of olive wood, each ten cubits high. One wing of the first cherubim was five cubits long, and the other wing five, five cubits, ten cubits, from wingtip to wingtip. And we see that they're made out of gold as well. This is the most gold that you've ever seen. This is extreme bling. And very, very expensive. Now, we, when we build stuff, if we've got a fancy worktop or something like that, what we do is we, we, we put something precious on the outside, but inside is something cheap like MDF. You know, bits of, I don't know, chopped up bits of wood or whatever. We, we, we cover the cheap with when we do do things fancy with the fancy. But here, they're building out of expensive cedar wood that's been brought down from where we know now as the Lebanon. And then it's overlaid with pure gold. It's only God who gets to see what's underneath. And then as we saw there, there's the angels. These Cherubim, as we read from verse 23. For the inner sanctuary, he made a pair of cherubim out of olive wood, each ten cubits high. One wing of the first cherub was five cubits long, the other wing five cubits, ten cubits from wingtip to wingtip. The second cherub also measured ten cubits, for the two cherubim were identical in size and shape. The height of each cherub was ten cubits. He placed the cherubim inside the innermost room of the temple with their wings spread out. The wing of one cherub touched one wall while the wing of the other touched the wall and their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. He overlaid the cherubim with gold. These angels, these cherubim are huge. A cubit, uh, just to let you know, is, is the measurement from my fingertip to my elbow. Round about. So the wing, one wing of these cherubim are five times that. So that's about 2.3 meters, about seven and a half feet. And that's only one wing. So you've got a 15 foot wingspan on each angel. And then that angel touches with another angel so that you've got 30 feet across, all covered in gold. And they're above the Ark of the Covenant, which holds the Ten Commandments. And on top of that Ark is also cherubim as well. Angels upon angels. It would have looked amazing. But of course, you didn't get to see this bit, only the high priest. But as we get access here through God's word, we see God sees it. The plan is that he'll enjoy it and it will be a place worth 
of his glory. Imagine Keith Lemon or Lloyd Grossman walking through the temple and saying, what kind of person lives in a house like this? You'd look and you would say, amazing. Someone who loves creation and beauty and praise and angels and glory. And you think, which is what we're supposed to do here. Wow. Wow. The most amazing thing about this house is that God comes to live there. God comes and chooses to dwell in his temple. And so we look, as we turn to 1 Kings chapter 8, uh, and we see verse 1, the ark is brought into the temple, and the ark symbolizes God's promise to Israel to be God's people, and they would be, or Israel would be God's people, and he would be their God. And the ark is brought into the holy of holies and long poles underneath these cherubim, and there are sacrifices, so many that no one could count, verse 5. And we can see the ark is very powerful. Anyone who's seen Indiana Jones and the Raiders of Lost Ark, little bit of uh, Hollywood there. But again, we, we've seen in the Bible in 1 Samuel 5 that that ark can destroy cities. It's a powerful piece of architecture. And it's brought in, and then the priests have, the priests have to leave. So we read in verse 10 of chapter 8, when the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Now, I don't know if you know your clouds. Cirrus, it's a way high up, very wispy cloud. And there's the Altostratus, a little lower, lower down. And then there's the one that we usually see, the Cumulonimbus, that's the rain clouds. But this is a different cloud. This cloud symbolizes God's presence. See, in the Old Testament, there's lots of pictures of God's presence being in the form of the cloud. Probably the most famous one is when Israel walked through the wilderness. In Exodus 13, a power, pillar of cloud by, by day and a pillar of fire by night leading them. Or when Moses went in the tent of meeting in Exodus 33 and the cloud would come down and Moses would meet God face to face. See, the cloud is a picture of God's glory, meeting with his people. It wouldn't be amazing if, if I was speaking that God glorified his creation, that God filled this place and you couldn't see because the glory of the Lord and George and I had to leave St. Patrick's building because God arrived here in all his majesty. As we read First Kings chapter 8, what we're supposed to see that it's not an easy thing to have God's presence with us. The priests have to leave, even the most holy ones. In fact, every human being would have to leave, you and me and everyone else, because we're sinners. And it's not just because you build something fancy it's, it's not the building that made God close, comes close. It's about God's mercy and grace and his rescue. So we're a people not fit to have, come, to have God come close to us. But what we get in these chapters is a reminder of a God who saves, who rescues his people. That is what God is about. He is the God who brought Israel out of Egypt and I'd never seen it before until I studied these chapters. 
but it's repeated over and over again. So we have 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 9, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 16, 21, and 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 53. Over and over again, we're told that God has rescued Israel. It's a reminder to us that the only reason that God can come close, the only reason, the only reason that God can come close is because he rescues us. See, once we had lived off in slavery and sin, but God in his mercy has come and rescued his people. See, God's name doesn't rest in the temple because it's all full of gold. God comes to be with us because he rescues enough to live close to us. The final point that I want to share with you tonight is that not only God doesn't live in a building. Look, what does this temple mean for us 3,000 years later? Well, maybe the temptation for us is to look back at this building and become nostalgic. But actually, when First and Second Kings was published, the first readers didn't live anywhere near this temple. They had been exiled to Babylon. God had kicked them out of Israel. And, and they know what happens at the end of 2 Kings. They had experienced it. This amazing house is destroyed by the Babylonian Empire. Gradually, as we, if we were to read through 2 Kings, we'd see the temple being stripped of its glory as each successive king sells off the gold. And then when the gold runs out, they sell off the bronze. And eventually, when there's no bronze left, King Nebuchadnezzar comes from Babylon and he burns it to the ground. And so as we read through these books, there's a sense of, this is what it used to be like in the glory days, but we've lost it. God was so close, but we were so sinful that God kicked us out. But as Christians, we read these words and there's a sense that this is just a picture. This is just a shadow of the reality that is to come. Not a building of gold, not a building of all, but a person. The son of a carpenter, actually. Jesus Christ. And we read, as we turn from 1 Kings to John's Gospel and to chapter 2, we read there that Jesus is challenging people who worship in Herod's temple. And he'd been scamming people. The money changers have been scamming them. And Jesus turns and he answers them. In John 2 verse 19, he says, destroy this temple. And I'll raise it again in three days. And they're astounded. They reply, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? John, the gospel writer, he says that the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. See, Jesus wasn't speaking of a building. He was speaking about himself. Kill me, and three days later I will rise. My body will be the glorious place where God is content to dwell. We as sinners cannot come close to God. But Jesus, as the temple curtains are torn from top to bottom, makes it possible for sinners like you and me to be rescued as God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. God rescues his people through Jesus Christ so that he can draw near to them again. And we're told 
miraculously, amazingly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that if we're Christians, we're part of the body of Christ. That is what the church is. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And that picture is used over and over again in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, Romans 12, verses 4 and 5, Ephesians 4, verse 12, Ephesians 5, verse 23, Colossians 1, verse 24. See, if you're a Christian, you're built on the foundation stone of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. We are the church. Not the buildings. We who gather as Christ's people. We become the place where God's holy presence dwells. So what's the point of knowing about the early physical home if we today are the later spiritual home of God? Well, actually the point is the same. It's to see the glory of God's house. Actually, it's to see that this temple is built out of materials that is more precious than gold. Each brick of this temple is a person that has been purchased by Christ's blood, by Jesus' death and resurrection. And what we need to do is to look around. We need to see how glorious this temple is. I miss seeing you every week. But I want you to know how precious you are if you are in Christ. You are one of the wonders of the world. And rather than being depressed about not gathering, I think the Lord is giving us a special time. Because we are not able to meet, we're seeing how precious it is to gather with God's people. We're being reminded week after week as we kind of go, oh, I wish we could gather. We're being reminded how precious, how glorious it is to have the church, the body of Christ here on earth. Do we see the church, this group of people that God has said, I will live among them. I will make them my dwelling place by my spirit is the most glorious thing of all. Because truth be told, I'd often think like that. Truth be told, there are going to be times when I think, do I have to go? I don't think I'm meeting with God's temple in whom God dwells. See, here is a spiritual house more glorious than the temple of Solomon ever could be. Here is a house fit for God's name. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So let's praise God for his house, the church. Not a building, but the precious people of God. Folks, if you think that's glorious, the best is yet to come. Let me finish with words from Revelation. Revelation 21. John writes, from verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city of the New Jerusalem because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb 
is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. No day will its gates ever be shut for there'll be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? You see how glorious God's church is? Well, who lives in a house like this? The most amazing, the most glorious, the most gracious, the most loving, the most compassionate, the most merciful God there is. And he's calling you and he's calling me to be part of his church, part of the place where he dwells on earth today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious picture we have of your house in First Kings. The gold, the cloud of glory, the silence as they built it. And yet this is a pale picture of the more glorious temple, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom you're gathering a people. You're building a temple of your Holy Spirit. One day, Lord, we will see the most glorious temple of all. We will see you and the nations and kings will bring their splendor to you, Lord. For you alone are worthy of our praise. And so draw us in wonder and praise to yourself so that we would have our names written in the Lamb's book of life and see that great day. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Donnacony Parish podcast. We're happy for this teaching to be shared for the advancement of gospel work and to help make disciples. For information about Donnacony Parish, please check out our website www.donnacloneyparish.co.uk or find us on social media.